0: You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at Redeemer Bible Church.
1: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. The text for this morning's sermon is Mark 5, 1 through 13. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met in one of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you as we do each week when we gather together and we open your word. Would you please show us Christ? This is what we need. we need you to do it. We need you to work. So Holy Spirit, would you attend to the preaching of the word so that we might see and savor Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Most people love a good underdog story where someone is facing seemingly insurmountable odds and they accomplish something no one thought they could. For someone like me who loves sports movies, this is the basic storyline of every great sports movie. In the original Rocky movie, The unknown boxer from Philadelphia finds himself in the ring with Apollo Creed. Later, this same unknown boxer would effectively end the Cold War by defeating Ivan Drago. In the classic Hoosiers... It's a small town high school basketball team from Hickory, Indiana that wins a state championship because of the beautiful jump shot of Jimmy Chitwood. It was the undersized kid from Southern California, Daniel LaRusso, trained by Mr. Miyagi that defeated Johnny Lawrence of Cobra Kai In the 1984 All Valley Under 18 Karate Championship. (laughs) Finally, in what has been called the greatest sports movie of all time, at least by me, (laughs) a scrappy kid from Joliet, Illinois ends up walking on as a football player at the University of Notre Dame. His name was Rudy Rudiger. Now, even if you're not into sports in general or sports movies in particular, I did see Aaron leaning over asking Tanya what I was talking about. (laughs) Most of you still love a good underdog story. Again, where someone is facing seemingly insurmountable odds and they accomplish something no one thought they could. Friends, do you realize that you will never, you will never find an instance anywhere in Scripture where Jesus is the underdog? He is never outmatched and he will never be overpowered. He is the favorite in every battle and he will remain undefeated for all time. Now hear me carefully. What I have just said is true, even when it doesn't seem like it is. Wasn't this what the disciples struggled with in our text last week? They they thought they were in a situation where Jesus was the underdog. It it appeared that he was overmatched. The storm was too great. But they were wrong. They forgot who Jesus was. God was in the boat with them. This week, we find Jesus confronted by another opponent. And if you're not careful, you could be tempted to think that Jesus is the underdog. The opponent is strong and crafty and destructive. Will this opposition be too much for the God man? Well, friends, let's walk through this somewhat bizarre story. And let's be reminded that no matter the opposition, Jesus wins. No matter the opposition, Jesus wins. First, I want you to see the enemy of Christ. The enemy of Christ. We see this in the first 10 verses. Look again at verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Last week, Jesus and his disciples were in a boat traveling across the Sea of Galilee when they encountered a great storm. We saw then how the sovereign Savior calmed the storm. And now Jesus and his disciples have arrived safely On the other side of the sea. Now, before we look at everything that happens in this next scene from the life of Jesus, I want to pause for a moment and ask you to consider how this flow of events is a poignant illustration of what many of us have experienced in the Christian life. We encounter unexpected suffering. We wonder if the Lord cares. We cry out in fear. Jesus answers and brings peace. And then as we've just barely made it out of one unforeseen trial, another is waiting just around the bend. Friends, what a reminder of the reality of life this side of heaven and of our complete dependence upon God. About the time we begin to think that we're in the clear, new trials and temptations come. And we're faced with a choice: Will we be drawn away in fear and doubt, or will we remember who Jesus is and run to Him? Now, let's jump into the story we find in today's text. Let's begin again in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Uh, Let's see if that's true. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Remember that the pace of Mark's gospel is pretty frantic. One of his favorite words is immediately. We find it here again. As soon as Jesus arrives on the shore and steps out of his boat, immediately he is confronted by a man. But it's not just any man. This man is described as having an unclean spirit. He is possessed by a demon. Satan is trying to destroy this man, And notice what the text tells us about him. Mark tells us that he lived among the tombs. This means that he was driven out of the city, away from all the people, and forced to live among the dead. An unclean man was forced to go to an unclean place. Mark tells us that this demon-possessed man displayed something like superhuman strength. He had been bound by chains, the sorts of chains that normal people with normal strength couldn't break, but it was different for this man. He didn't just break the chains either. He wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. This is incredible Hulk kind of strength. Finally, Mark tells us in verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. One commentator plainly writes, in his unbridled torment, he wandered through the mountains continually screaming and injuring himself with stones, adding misery to misery. It's hard to know why the man was was doing this, the screaming and the the cutting. Was this the unclean spirit forcing the man to engage in pagan worship practices? Was this his attempt to get ri- get rid of the unclean spirit by trying to cut it out? Or was the man trying to commit suicide? We don't know. But whatever is happening, what this man was experiencing was horrific. Imagine the scene. If you were with Jesus, you would have been utterly and completely terrified. It would have been unlike anything you'd ever seen before. And you would be wondering, what in the world will Jesus do? How will he respond to this madman. Look at verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Verse 8, for he, Jesus, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So the first two verses, six and seven, are the response to what Jesus says in verse 8. And then verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country this is such a strange conversation, isn't it? And and the way in which Mark has recorded the interaction makes it confusing to follow exactly what's happening. In fact, if you read five different commentators explaining verses six through 10, all of them say something slightly different. So let me give you a few observations to help you understand these five verses. First, Even though the unclean spirit in this man is an agent of Satan, when the demon speaks, it gets the identity of Jesus right. Now, what did we just see in the text we studied last week? The disciples forgot who Jesus was so much so that they ask the question, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Uh, Well, in a crazy turn of events, a demon answers the disciples' question and does so accurately. Jesus is the son of the most high God, and this agent of the evil one doesn't just get the identity of Jesus right, but he also affirms the power of Jesus. Look at the end of verse 7. I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Apparently, the unclean spirit thinks that Jesus is going to do to it what it has been doing to the poor man. Friends, we are meant to see the contrast between the demon and the disciples. At this point in the story... Only one of them knows who Jesus is and what he can do, and it's not the disciples. There is a warning here, to be sure. A second observation about this conversation of verses 6 through 9. After Jesus commands the spirit to come out of the man, he asks the demon for a name, The demon responds at the end of verse 9, my name is Legion, for we are many. Apparently, the man was not simply possessed by a demon, but he is being tormented by a host of demons. A Roman legion was over 6,000 men. But I don't think this is meant to give a precise count. It's simply being used to communicate a very large number. This is horrible. Friends, please don't miss this. What an accurate glimpse this is of the nature of Satan. He doesn't simply want to afflict. He wants to completely devastate and destroy. In fact, this is what he loves to do. He finds a man made in the image of God, made to worship God, and he unleashes a legion of his demons to profoundly torment this man To make just one brief pastoral application here, understand the nature of the evil one. He lies. He kills. He destroys. But he does this while promising you freedom and joy and satisfaction. No one in this room sins because... You want all the pain and devastation that sin brings. You sin because you think it will make you happy. This is what the devil has told you. Brothers and sisters, be on guard. The devil is after you. He wants to destroy you. He hates your marriage. He hates your children. He hates you. Let us not quickly go past this story as if what is happening here does not apply to us. A third observation. The demons know the identity of Jesus. They know the power of Jesus. And they know his plan. They know what's about to happen. Jesus has already told them. When Jesus said to them, Come out of the man, they knew at that very moment they had lost. So, following in the footsteps of the devil himself, they try to be cunning and crafty and convince Jesus to refrain from banishing them completely. But, friends, Jesus has no grace for the armies of Satan, he does for the one they are oppressing. but their request is the height of folly. Yes, the number of demons is great and their power is real, but Jesus is not the underdog in this showdown. As we established last week, and we will see again, when they made the claim, there was no one stronger than him, they were forgetting about Jesus because Jesus is stronger. The enemy of Christ is Satan and his evil hosts, but look with me now at the victory of Christ. We see this in verses 11 through 13. Look at the text with me. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they, the legion of demons, begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, speaking of Jesus, the one who is sovereign over unexpected storms and unclean spirits, this Jesus, I love the next three words, gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. So what's this all about? Why this request from the demons? Well, I think they knew, as I already alluded to, that their time of tormenting the man was done. They knew who Jesus was, and they knew what he could do. But if they cannot destroy the man, perhaps they can destroy something else God created. Okay, but if Jesus is in control and if he's stronger than the legion of demons, then why does he grant their request? Why doesn't he just eliminate them altogether with a single word? New Testament theologian William Lane offers the following explanation. Listen carefully. First, Jesus recognized the time of the ultimate vanquishment of the demons had not yet come. His encounter and triumph over the demonic does not yet put an end to Satan's power. It is the pledge and the symbol of that definitive triumph. But the time when that triumph will be fully realized is yet deferred. It must await the appointment of God. Therefore, Jesus allows the demons to continue their destructive work, but not upon a man. The second element is related to this. Jesus allowed the demons to enter the swine to indicate beyond question that their real purpose was the total destruction of their host. Did you catch that? Jesus wants everyone to know how exceedingly evil the intentions are of Satan and his minions. They aim to kill and destroy. So again, be warned. But what else did Lane say? Jesus recognized the time of the ultimate vanquishment of the demons had not yet come. His encounter and triumph over the demonic does not yet put an end to Satan's power. It is the pledge and the symbol of that definitive triumph. But the time when that triumph will be fully realized is yet deferred. It must await the appointment of God. The victory of Jesus over this legion of demons is a certain foreshadowing of his definitive victory over Satan by means of his death and resurrection, but it's not time yet. So we just see a little glimpse here, but we know what's coming, don't we? This victorious encounter between Jesus and the forces of hell on the shore of the Sea of Galilee causes us to look forward to the cross and the empty tomb. But there's also something about what happens here that invites us to look back as well. When Jesus gives permission to the legion of demons to enter 2,000 pigs and they proceed to careen off a cliff and perish in the sea, we should think of another time when something similar happened. It did not involve pigs, if you're racking your brain. But the instance is similar, and I think we're meant to connect the two at least in some way. Take your Bible and turn back to Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus 15, we find the song of Moses after God delivered Israel from Egypt, consuming Pharaoh and his army by the waters of the Red Sea. Now listen to part of this song. Verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Verse 4. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. Verse 5. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Verse 10. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. What happened in Israel's exodus from Egypt and how does this connect to Mark chapter 5. In both cases, the forces of evil sought to kill and destroy, and in both cases, under the mighty hand of God, the sea swallowed up the enemies and God brought salvation. In one case, to a nation in need of rescue, and in the other, to a man hopeless and bound by the evil one. Oh, brothers and sisters, isn't this wonderful? When we see the victory of Christ over the legion of demons, we can ping-pong back and forth between the first exodus and the second. You know what happened in the first, but consider for a moment all that takes place in the second. The second exodus is the greater exodus. The master takes the place of the servant, God the son, instead of Moses, All of the major elements of the exodus are part of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection of which this defeat of the legion of demons is a sign. Christ fulfilled redemption, freed his people from sin, triumphed over death, satisfied the wrath of God against sin, secured an inheritance for those he rescued. On the cross, Jesus in infinite power was dividing a great pathway through the waters of death to deliver his people from sin's slavery. So whether you simply look at the events of Mark 5, or this launches you back to the first exodus and then forward to the greater exodus, whether the enemy of Christ is a legion of demons or the power of death and hell, in each case, Jesus appears to be the underdog but he wins. He's undefeated. Oh, the confidence this should bring to doubting and fearful and weary Christians. Behold the victorious Christ We've seen the enemy of Christ, the victory of Christ. Now, finally, let me point out something that we must not miss, the response to Christ, the response to Christ, the enemy of Christ, the victory of Christ. Now, the response to Christ. We see this in verses 14 through 20. Look at the text with me. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. One commentator points out how this crowd responds to all that Jesus has done, and he calls it a tragedy. They hear about his miraculous deliverance. They hear this incredible story of his grace. And in response, they beg Jesus to leave. The demons beg to go into the pigs, but the crowd begs Jesus to go away. You see, the crowd would rather have an army of evil spirits in their region than the savior of the world. They conclude that being without Jesus would be better than being with him. These people have a chance to follow Jesus. They can respond to all that he has done in worship and adoration, but they don't. They ask him to leave. They reject the opportunity to sit at his feet and to learn from him and to walk with him. This is one way to respond to Jesus. When you hear who he is and what he has done, you say, thanks, but no thanks. This, friends, is the response of a fool. And it's the worst decision you could ever make. There is another way to respond to Jesus. Look at verse 18. And as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, speaking of Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Don't you love this? The man who was delivered by Jesus just wants to be with him. Now, don't understand Jesus as rejecting this man He is not doing to this man what the crowds have just done to him. Uh, No, this, this is not a rejection. This is a loving commission. Jesus has a job for this man. It's as if he says, I know you want to be with me, but I have something better for you. Now that you've believed in me, I will always be with you. And one day you will be with me forever. But first, first I have a high calling for you. Go and tell as many people as you can everything I've done for you. First go home. Then go to your friends. Then go to the whole city Tell them about me. Tell them what I've done. Go and make disciples. The one who was unclean, cast out, is brought near, made new. And then Jesus enlists him. What does the man do? He obeys. He embraces his mission to go and tell, and he becomes a very unexpected evangelist. Friend, if you've turned to Jesus in faith and been born again, this man's story is your story. You were dead in your sins. Hopeless and helpless, following the course of this world, tormented by the evil one, unable to escape his vicious grip on your life, you were an outcast, unclean, and unwanted. But what happened? Jesus came to you, saw you in your misery, And he acted in sovereign grace and power. He did what only he can do. He overcame the devil. He defeated his plan to destroy you. And he rescued you. At your lowest point and in your time of greatest need, Jesus had mercy on you. And now, as a glad and joyful recipient of his infinite kindness, as as one who just wants to be with Jesus. He says to you, I have something better for you than you can possibly imagine. I have a job for you to do. Go and tell as many people as you can everything I've done for you. Tell them about me. Tell them about my mercy. Tell them about my grace. Tell them about my power. Tell them about my liberation and my salvation. And as you go, here's the best part. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. In fact, I'll never leave you. So go and make disciples. Brothers and sisters, the one who has rescued and redeemed you, who has called you to himself, has now commissioned you to declare his mercy and goodness. And and you might have a bunch of excuses. You don't understand how hard it is for me to talk to people. You don't understand. I get very nervous that, I, that I'll get something wrong when I'm talking about the gospel. I don't, I'm not the most theologically minded person in the world. I think Jesus would say to you what he said to this man. It's okay. Just go tell them what I've done for you. Just, just tell them about what happened. And as you go, dear friends, remember that this one, this one who rescued you and redeemed you and has now commissioned you and has promised to work through you, this one will be with you to the end of the age Yes, the task in front of you is great. But the one who goes with you is never the underdog. He is and forever will be undefeated. So in boldness, let us proclaim how much Jesus has done for us. Let's pray.